Hi, I'm Jane Eloise and um, I'm going to do another podcast. I've actually brought my laptop away with me um, and just so happens <laughs> that the friend I'm with, another inspirational young lady. <laughs> um, so welcome to my friend Sean. Hi, Sean. Hello, Jane. I'm liking the young, by the way. <laughs> Same age as me. Um, we haven't really rehearsed this, have we? But... Um, when I say that the things that happened to Sean in her life could actually warrant a whole series of podcasts, um, I, I wouldn't be joking. So, so I think um, if you give us maybe a little bit of background of various things um, about how your life kind of panned out <laughs> and big events that have happened to you over the years um, and then maybe we could leave having set that up if you want to talk about one particular year that was well quite amazing that you've <laughs> smiling still in front of me to be honest um, is that okay yeah that's fine so um, you want to I mean you can start where you like you can start you know obviously Big events started when you were young, didn't they? They did. I don't have a lot of early childhood memories. Um, I don't know why. I just think we moved around a lot. Um, had lots of different experiences that actually were quite good. I think my early childhood was really good. Um, and I don't remember any sadness. I remember losing grandparents, and that's always a, a quite uh, a big deal in your life. Um, um, so I'm going to start my journey with you at 14. Um, my father was a civil engineer and he didn't. He was never at home very much. He, he would travel around the, the country and then the world and we would follow him every couple of years. Um, and one of the places that he moved to that we actually went to was Nigeria. And at that time in my life there were four of us, well, my parents and then my older sister, myself and my twin sister and my younger brother. And there's seven years between each of us, so we, we were quite spaced out, really. And my older sister didn't come to Nigeria. She had recently married and had a baby. So she stayed at home. So me and Rian and my little brother Thomas went to Nigeria with our parents. And the first few months were challenging but interesting and fun and we didn't go to school and we were we were wild really um we were a little bit feral we didn't have to do anything we didn't go to school we started to go correspondence schools didn't really so a lot of the expat children who went out with british companies or european companies or american companies had schooling provided we didn't so we just oh. did our own thing really okay. <laughs> which was fine yeah. which was fine and i we, there was a little outhouse and I set up a little school for my brother because I quite enjoyed that sort of thing and I enjoyed playing with him. And he was six at the time. And then he went out one day with a friend of my father's and he didn't come home. Um, they'd been involved in a car crash in Nigeria. A bulldozer had taken the car out. He wasn't wearing a seatbelt and he was standing between the driver's seat and the passenger seat and he went forward and he met the bonnet on its way up and he didn't survive it was a fatal crash and he um, is still out there he was buried out there we couldn't get him home and I think that changed my parents life um, 
dramatically. It really would. And you and your sister. And ours. I think Rian and I were 14 and we had this terrible loss. But for my parents, it was, they they just never, ever recovered. Um, So that happened in the December just before Christmas. And we didn't tell anybody. My parents chose not to tell anybody. It was pre- WhatsApp and Google and all of that malarkey. So we then came home in the February, which would have been his seventh birthday, and we had to relive it all. We had to go through it all. And I remember my sister running out of the house with her baby. She was so excited we were all home. And my aunt and uncle had just turned up at our house because they were really excited. A, because we'd just got home and they'd just found out that they were having a baby. So we were met by all these people, happy, 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 to have to sit and tell them that actually four of us had come home, not five of us had come home. God. So we had to relive all of that all over again. Did you have a funeral for him that day? We had a big funeral. There was a big funeral. Um, it was a weird funeral. He... he, Because he, he, we had nobody that we loved there. It was just us. There was nobody we loved. There were people we knew, people we liked, but nobody we loved. And he got brought in a blue pickup. I've got this vivid memory of a blue pickup. And he was brought into the church. It was a Catholic church um, on the back of a pickup. And um, I don't remember the funeral itself. I remember lots and lots of people around, lots of Nigerians around, lots of noise. And then I remember, but I think it's because I've got a photo of my mum in bright yellow. Because um, of course we didn't have anything black. We, we hadn't thought that we'd need anything black. No. I've just got this vivid memory of my mother crouching at the grave. They'd just filled the grave in and she wouldn't leave in bright, bright yellow, just crouching down and, and just looking at, yeah, I, I can't, I haven't got a word to describe how she looked, no. I can't, I can't imagine how she felt, and then my dad went completely off the rails, um, and started drinking, and didn't stop, ever, um, and I think their whole dynamic changed, and then their, and their dynamic with us changed, and I completely understand it, and I remember... One night, um, we'd gone out, the four of us, and my dad was just in an awful place. And I remember grabbing him, he was a 14-year-old girl, and I was was quite tiny, grabbing my dad and shaking him and just saying, for God's sake, I may have sworn, but for God's sake, Dad, just remember you've still got three children left, and actually we need you, and and we need you. But he couldn't couldn't connect to that at all. Um, Did he carry on working? Yeah, yeah. Um, and he went back out, so we all came home, and we had to break the news. And you know, we we've never we never had like a memorial or anything, so the the wider family have never had that opportunity to say goodbye. Mm. Um, and then he went back to Nigeria because he had to. Um, and then we went back out weirdly a little while later, about a year later. But we didn't we didn't stay very long. We all came home, and then my dad came home, and he managed to get a few contracting jobs. At home, and then I think from about sixty-five, he couldn't work. He didn't get any work because he wasn't qualified to do what he was doing, and it was at the age of yuppies and everybody having qualifications, and yeah. it's that it's at that time. Mm. So he just sort of wasn't able to work after that. And you've probably yeah. told this story a lot of times. <laughs> I haven't actually. I've been... I mean, no, because I'm sitting here yeah. with goosebumps, and yeah. yeah, I've heard you tell it, obviously, yeah. but I'm. I'm finding it hard <laughs> to actually. And I know, I know your. Yeah. I don't know your your personality and everything. You you you, well, you appear to cope with 
everything but yeah well you know but my I, eyes are a bit stingy talking about it right so. okay my eyes are a bit stingy I've, I've talked about him dying but I've never talked about the detail and then, like I've never talked about his funeral before and I've never talked about having to, I don't think I've talked about coming home and our family not knowing and yeah. things like that and that whole reliving experience and I think what you know at 14 and obviously um you know we're very young still but you know that's 40 years it's, ago it's, yeah it's and other things have happened since and yeah for well, I, I would yeah. say 14 15 was yeah. it's is a vulnerable very age. impressionable very 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 impressionable I mean I can remember things happening yeah. to me and yeah. that's quite a turning point I mean yeah. I, I mean not only is it huge obviously what happened to your brother but the circumstances and the mm. the way it changed yeah and I've always said if I was ever in a position and I could afford to, I don't even know where he is now I could vaguely pick it out in Nigeria but I'd love to bring him home because he's on his own out there and that's a really big thing for me but there's been a lot of wars and a lot of turmoil in Nigeria so I don't even know if he's where I would think he is. And the other bit that I've got at home, when um, my parents have both died, they, they died uh, a few years ago, and I've got my mother's Bible, and in my mum's Bible is his death certificate. <laughs> but because my mum was not clear, she just had a moment, and she decided to try and preserve it by wrapping it in sellotape. And for some reason, it's destroyed the birth certificates. There's actually nothing written, or well, there's very little written on it. Oh. So I think in her... In her mind's eye, she thought she was preserving that because obviously that was really important for her. And <laughs> she completely destroyed the birth certificate. It's quite ironic and quite funny for me. But I do have, we've got this family Bible with all birth marriages and deaths in it and, it, and everything's um, yes. in there and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, I, I, he will he will stay there forever and that's, that's just how it is, I suppose, really. Um, and th- yeah, then we came home, we had to relive it all. And then life sort of settled down quite nicely. My uh, my twin sister left home at sixteen, seventeen, mainly because I think the the fractious relationship that we ended up all having, I think, with our parents, um, and I think my mum, she she wasn't a warm person, and I think that just any warmth that sort of took out of her, it came back again when she had grandchildren. She definitely came back again at that point, but for us. As the remaining children, I think it put something in... There was a... It was almost like she became the ice queen. Um, I don't think she could afford to love us anymore because of the pain I think she'd gone through. So I completely... And now, as an adult, rationalising Having your own children... Yeah. yeah. It's... You... Yeah. You can kind of see that, but at yeah. the same time, as I said, as a child, you just... You must... Yeah. As you said to your dad, there are still three of us... Yeah, and we need you, and yeah, um, and then so I I applied for my nurse training at, at seventeen, as you know, because then we all met at eighteen yeah. at nurse training, and so you know both me and my sisters got away really, and I never went back, but life poodled on and it was fine, um, and then I met the person that is now my ex husband. Um, who you also know, we all yes. grew up together, really. Yeah. And it was not a happy relationship. It had times of amazingness and love and just incredible times. And then there were just awful times. He was quite a dark character and quite a difficult person to live with. 
um, and it wasn't easy and we, we split up and got together and split up and got together uh, quite a few times. Um, and then we eventually got married. Um, whether I should have or shouldn't have, I don't know. I do understand there was a book running at my wedding about how long it would last. I don't know who won. Oh, um, yeah. I, I don't I, I was at your wedding. <laughs> you were at my wedding. I, I think I, this was mainly around his side and his friends. Okay. Okay. But I do believe there was a book running. Um, but anyway, it was, it was fine. It was a good day, I think. You know, people had a good time. A lovely day, yes. Um, and we then went on to have two beautiful, beautiful children. Um, and life did what life does. And, and, and again, um, you, you drift away from people through that time. And through that time, we drifted away for lots of reasons. You had your family. I had my family. I had stuff going on. Um, I was still working all this time. I've worked right through my adult life, my adult career. Um, and then... And very successfully, I would have to say. Yeah, I've done okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I suppose for me, my next big shocking period was um, my daughter, my beautiful daughter, Charlie, who is now, I'm going to put this in there, she is now about to turn 26, 27. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, she was four and we were just mulching around at home. And she was a little bit off. I put it down to us needing to go to the dentist because she didn't like the dentist. She is her mother's daughter. Um, checked her over. She seemed all right. A little bit warm. It was winter. I thought she probably had a cold. Yeah. We went out, went to the dentist. She was all right with the dentist. Um, at the time, we lived in Dartford. And it was a day that um, my ex-husband and I were both off. And they were quite rare because I'm a nurse. He was a fireman at the time. And we quite often worked uh, opposite shifts to look after the kids but we were all off for the day so we decided to go to Blue Water and go to McDonald's as you do with young children and Charlie was four Ben was two he was just off his third birthday because um, it was February and we went into town and she she was a bit pale and a bit uh, she got a bit hotter so you know as every good parent does I went to Boots bought some cowpaw yep. plied her with cowpaw carried on shopping um, and carried on doing the McDonald's thing and she ate her lunch it was fine we went home fine the kids next door came around to play and she was on the sofa I, I remember it really really vividly it's a picture that I'm never going to lose um, and she was lying on the sofa just in her knickers because she was quite hot um, I probably need to put in here at this point I am a children's nurse <laughs> um, so she's anyway she was fine she got up she was playing with Jack who uh, the six days between her and Jack and they were born together in the same ward pretty much and were growing up together and she got up and she played. She was a little bit subdued, but she played with, with her, her brother and Jack and his brother, Harry. And they had their tea. And they all had their tea together. And then for, and then it was bedtime. And for some reason, I put Ben to bed, but I, I just didn't want to put Charlie to bed. So she sat on the sofa, just in her knickers, with, a, with a, just a cotton cover over her. And I got dinner ready for uh, myself and their dad. And we just got a takeaway because couldn't be bothered to cook. And then I just, I just don't know what made me do it. I just don't know what made me do it. But I went and I had another look over her. And again, she was fine. I just pulled down her knickers. And just on her hip bone was a red spot. And I, at that point, knew exactly, or I thought, I feared, I knew exactly what was going on. 
And I went out to the kitchen and I got a glass and I rolled the glass over the spot and it didn't blanch and I knew immediately was what was going on. And for some reason, I don't, for some reason at that time, and I don't know if you remember, there were lots of adverts about get the glass test. Yes, yes, I um, do. So I, they actually had resus ready for us. Um, wow. So we she ran, got worse, as yeah. in in the drive up, she'd vomited and she'd got four more spots. Right. And she was going in and out of consciousness. So we went running into. A&E and they were ready for us they were waiting for us um, and they brought the whole resus team in and, all the, and we had double the resus team because they were all coming down to look after her and um, the, all the consultants on call came in She's, uh, I, we were really lucky with the care she got all, and I remember uh, one of the consultants the paediatrician Dorothy Garvey and I, remember, I stayed with her the whole time because in children's nursing parents can stay it's not like adults yeah. where yeah. Um, relatives are shoved out of recess and it got to, um, so they put all the cannulas in they were taking all the bloods they were doing all of that then they had to phone the resource to the rescue team from guys um, and they needed to ventilate her and that's the one point I couldn't be with her I could not watch them intubate Charlie so I had to leave the room at that point and they came out and we went to the relative room and at this, by this point, my brother-in-law had come to see what was going on and brought my nephew, and um, they brought a few bits in for us. And we, we were in the relatives' room, and I remember them coming in, and it was the retrieval team from guys. They came in with a clipboard, and they said, um, Shandan, we're, we're the retrieval team from guys, and we need to ask you a question. I thought, oh, God, they're going to ask for her organs. They want her organs. And it wasn't. They wanted to put her on a trial drug. And I can, I've never been so relieved that they oh wanted to put her on a trial drug because I thought, this is it. They're coming to tell me she's dead and they want her organs. I, at this point, <laughs> I think it is very important because you're talking about this for, you, you're a children's nurse. Yeah. You knew what to look for straight yeah. away. Yeah. Um, and um, a lot of people, I mean, okay, there's, my youngest daughter's lost someone yeah, through was. it. Yeah. Um, and the speed at which it happened... So scary. ...is very scary. So scary. scary. Um, and even you talking, you acted very quickly and you mm. still got... She deteriorated. Yeah. So I think, you know, it's it's a reminder... It's for everybody. ...to everybody. I mean, there are certain... Well, I, I don't know if there's a lot when they're younger, and obviously when they go to university is yeah. another particular point, yeah. isn't it? Um, without sort of scaring people, um, I don't know. And as children, do they? Does it? Can it progress even quicker, or does no, it not? No, I think I think what it, it, and it, it depends on the meningitis you have. Yeah, I knew this. Viral or bacterial. It depends on. Um, but if it's if it's what Charlie had, which is bacterial, and I think what you know your friend had um the speed is just ridiculous and the trouble is it's still and it's not just parents and carers and relatives that don't spot it health care professionals don't spot it mm. and that's why it's really important there's a huge push um around sepsis so what people are hearing now isn't meningitis what they're hearing is sepsis because it's not the meningitis actually that is and obviously we you know we have a very friend who's also somebody who you've done a podcast with yes and um, that this is affected as well and it, it's actually the it's the septicemia so it's the blood infection that is the killer and that's where 
that's because the, the intubation is as well because the organs yes, obviously the, the organs start to fail very quickly I mean yeah. the, you know I don't know the speed and, and the thing that for me as well when you're talking is how well she was or how well she oh, coped with it was, all day she was yeah and that's the difference I think with children to adults adults know about being sick so they'll like oh you know it's man flu it's this it's that children don't know about being sick especially at that age like I say she was four so for Charlie she wanted to play her best friend had come around Jack had come around her brother was there Harry was there um, Jack's little brother they just wanted to play and that's and that's what children will do they and they have huge reserve children um, so and that's why children collapse so so quickly is they have such reserve within them because all their organs are growing they're really really healthy um, it takes a lot to stop that happening and that's yeah. you know I've been a children's nurse for a very long time and you see children walking in and they, and they walk in well and the amount of doctors and nurses oh, what do they don't, those parents they're just being silly they're just being panicking and then that child collapses in front of you parents know their children yeah. absolutely know their children mm-hmm. and they know something's not right so I knew and I had this feeling all day something wasn't right but I couldn't put my finger on it and it was until I pulled her knickers down and there was that one spot yeah that's what that's what did it for me and I, I knew immediately I was seeing that spot so they intubated her and so they intubated her on support and tried I took her to guys and uh, we followed in the car and the ambulance stopped and she'd um, needed full research she'd had a cardiac arrest in the ambulance and twice she had two in the ambulance on the way to guys um, and they got her back god alone knows how they got her back but they got her back and she was on the ninth floor of guys tower and we went up and obviously we couldn't go straight in but i i basically moved into guys then for the next four weeks um and she was up and down and up and down and they sat us down three times to turn the ventilator off and she decided she didn't want to do that that day thank you very much and she survived everything that could go wrong with charlie could go wrong and she where they resuscitated her they fluid overloaded her by nine litres she was like a little Michelin man but that then affected her lungs and in effect her lungs were drowning um, so then they wanted to put her on ECMO which is a machine where they, they take your blood outside your body and repump it through and clean it but she was too ill and that was on the first floor and they couldn't move her so and they couldn't bring the ECMO what age was she again she was four. four she was four um we a week after she was in guys it was ben's third birthday so we had his birthday party on the on the uh, ninth floor of guys hospital he so he turned three when she was poorly um she started to get she'd got kidney failure her lungs had failed she then they started to worry about her bowels and if your bowels fail that's your that's such a major organ that they that's really there's not a lot of return from that so they got surgeons up and and this is by about week two or three um they got the surgeons up and they went to do a laparotomy on intensive care because again she's too ill to move to theatres and i have never ever been so happy to hear the fart that came out of my child <laughs> on that day when they put the knife in for the laparotomy and basically it was she was just full of wind and that I was just like and this is what she did the whole time so she was ventilated in intensive care for three and a half weeks and we had tragedy such tragedy going on around us you know parents were coming in and they were not going home with their children mm. and 
um, we we were living that every day. And every day, Charlie would throw a curveball in. So some days her blood gases would get really bad, and some days another organ would fail. And that kept going for two and a half, three weeks. And then one night there was a real shift in things, and the whole of intensive care was it's normal chaos. And for some reason, Charlie's bed space was really serene and really calm and I went into a huge panic because in my experience in my career things tend to get a little bit better before they get quite a lot worse and I sat with her that night bearing in mind we'd already been sat down three times to turn the ventilator off and we hadn't and that night I sat with her and I remember feeling like I wanted to pull everything off her, rip out all the tubes, all the machines, and just run away with her and hide in a cupboard. And I don't know why I thought a cupboard, but I thought a cupboard and I could close the door. And at that point, I wasn't even really thinking about my other son. It was all about me and Charlie. It was quite selfish, I think, really. But I just wanted her and me to be alone and be okay. But I knew it wasn't going to be. So I sat with her and I read her a story and I held her hand and I kissed her and I told her that if she needed to go, she could go and it would be fine. And then we went to bed. We left and we went to bed. And we got up in the morning and we hadn't had a call, which was quite a positive, really. Um, so we went over. We were staying um, in Ronald McDonald House, um, which had been our little oasis really um, at Guy's it meant that we could be on site and not have to drive home every night um, so we was that, quite, was that quite a new thing? Or was it, was, it was relatively new at the time and they still are um, raising money for it okay. so every time you go into McDonald's there's a little thing just pop your change in and they're all over the world now oh, right. and all oh, in, in major I, I, I heard a bit but I didn't, didn't yeah. realise so that's good to know yeah they're real home from homes and they have, it, it just means you can be near enough but get away and so we went back over to the ward and she was still there hurrah um, I can't underestimate or articulate the feeling when you really think you're going to go into somewhere that your child has been and you think they might not be um, and she was and it was incredible and from that day every day she started to get a little bit better and a little bit better and it got to the day at the end of week three and a half and they decided to try to wake her up um, and take her ventilator off and they did and, and they did warn us it wouldn't be like on the films um, that she wouldn't sit up and be bright, but I hadn't quite expected how long it would take her to come round, and it was and it was just the most awful, probably thirty six, forty eight hours, because she kept uh, twitching, she wasn't rousable, and I hadn't expected that. I hadn't worked in intensive care, so I'd never seen that side of things, and I didn't know what to expect. But I did think she'd wake up relatively quickly and she didn't um I suppose having been through all that you don't know what how she's going to come back to you either no and what 
and and we did at times think that she because she'd had such a trauma we did think that we would be taking home a child with some degree of challenge and um, you know in the time that we've been in intensive care there's been lots of children with septicemia meningitis meningococcal disease who'd lost limbs and lost yeah, loads and, and she hadn't um, so we thought right okay so we've got an intact child physically but cognitively we we did expect particularly that 48 hours where there was a lot of twitching and we thought it was see we'd be out. I had about another four weeks off work um, where she had some really intense physiotherapy and what we know at the time was Charlie is was I don't know if she still is but she was Guy's sickest intact survivor of meningococcal disease which means she had no so she'd been so so sick but had had no long lasting yep. effects as far as we know yeah. and she still doesn't she seems to have done alright um, she seems to have done alright so that was that was that really amazing and yeah. I think uh, well from what you said I can think a lot is the speed oh god of scary. which of which you got to there yeah. I mean minutes could have made a difference really yeah. Yeah. I mean obviously you know it's not worth but yeah, how amazing and it's also yeah. that decision I was able to make and they've said that to me the guys retrieval team said if I'd have taken her to our local hospital with the lack of um, expertise I suppose and experience she wouldn't have survived and I made that conscious choice to yeah. put her in a car and drive her somewhere and you never quite know what the outcome's going to be no and you just sort of hope for the best really sometimes you have to go with your gut gut feeling especially yeah. when it comes to your own child yeah no. and no. the other thing that was happening that year as well was I had just started my degree so I started my degree in the September yeah for an academic year and I had to have four months off because of Charlie yes and still managed to finish uh, I knew you were <laughs> going to say that Sean of so course you did <laughs> of course you did so that was quite nice so the end of that year was actually really positive so that Fantastic. was really nice Aww. So then I suppose scootle across a few years and, it, and, it, and the next few years were just sort of usual. And my husband at the time then changed jobs. He left one job and he joined the police. Um, and then we came to what is probably another quite traumatic time. Right, understatement. <laughs> um. So um, my... I can't go into the detail, but basically my um, ex-husband got involved in something um, at work and as a result of that he um, was off work, he was suspended, he was arrested and our house was raided and um, and that was just before Christmas of the year, of that particular year. Um, we then went, got through Christmas... Uh, it was quite difficult because he, it then affected his mental health and he got... If he hadn't been depressed before, and I think he probably had been, which is probably why his behaviour over the years towards me and the kids had been so difficult and challenging, um, it became worse, became much, much worse. Um, he, his depression spiralled out of control and, and my daughter by this time had gone to university, so it was me and my son living at home. And we were trying to support him and look after him in what were really, really challenging times with his behaviour. He became very um, difficult to live with for lots of reasons, both physically, emotionally. Um, yeah, just really tough. For a few months, and he was under the care of mental health teams, 
and it got to the point by about the February and he seemed to be a bit my uncle's had died so I went to the funeral sorry I just have to say at this point Sean does have an enormous family so whilst it sounds very alarming the amount of funerals and other lovely things that she goes to she has an incredible amount Huge. of cousins um, yeah. aunts and uncles so yeah. yeah so just one of the above and um, my husband yes. and my son at home so I drove to Wales stayed overnight the next morning um, I got a call from a friend and this was a friend who actually going back to when Charlie was ill had been very involved in looking after us at the time her and her husband yeah um by this time her she had separated from her husband um but she called me say Sean I'm, I'm really really concerned I've had a call from uh Your husband my husband um I'm very worried about his mental health she knew he was unwell at the time of his mental health you're in Wales, I know you're in Wales because she knew my uncle had died, I'm in Kent, I can get to your house quicker, shall I go? And we were literally just getting in the cars to go to the funeral, like, yeah, well, yeah. Didn't, what I didn't ask myself was how, why has he phoned you? Didn't ask that. Anyway, so um, she, so I went to the funeral, came away from the funeral, got a call, or I called and I said, I'm on my way home now, what's the state of play? And she said, you need to know he's tried to hang himself. He tried to kill himself in the house. Um, luck, and, and it, luckily the rope had snapped, so he hadn't been successful. And um, um, but he'd been quite yeah. serious about this, hadn't he? Completely. Yes. But, um, when I so I um, so I knew that that had happened. I knew he was going to hospital. I knew that another friend had managed to head my son off so that he didn't go into the house because um, there was quite literally a hole in the wall where it, where he'd fallen. His head had gone through the wall, and, and that, so there was aftermath of post-suicide um, so I got to the hospital and my son was there with a, with the friend that had stopped him and, and another woman who I didn't know and as I walked into recess my friend who'd called me was walking out she'd been with my husband and was walking out and she said to me oh do you want to go and see him then which again looking back was a very strange thing to ask me and I just said well yes <laughs> Anyway, I went in and, and my husband was there, very, uh, just desperate, just desperate. Um, and he was admitted to the local psychiatry unit um, for a week and my son and I went in the ambulance with him and it was just the most hideous uh, time. He was admitted and I remember him literally hanging onto my coat, begging me not to leave him there. And my son was getting cross with me because I was having to leave him there because I knew I couldn't manage him at home. So I had my son getting cross with me but that was his emotions and he didn't want to leave his dad in this place yeah I had his dad hanging on to me begging me not to leave him in this place and I knew I had to leave him there because I knew I couldn't help him anyway he stayed there and we went to to and from it and then we came home and then at the end of the week he came home can I I just mm. just only to pick up on a point yeah. because um and another talk about mental health but having been the other side I had a real flashback then because mm. when I was taken to the Priory, it is the most desperate feeling yeah. when you feel that loved ones, if you like, are abandoning you. Yeah. No, but I... in hindsight, I think just you know, just touching a little bit on on mental health, that it is the best thing that anyone can actually do yeah. for you. 
because um, I remember begging and I, you know, I hated every single minute, but it's not, it's very, very difficult for the, the other side, the other person, the person that's dealing with it, i.e. you. I can see that now, but I couldn't. No, and I, and it, it, it's, in a way it's comforting to hear you say that because all I could say was this desperation and I felt like I was abandoning him yeah I re- because you, again as a parent of a child in hospital you can stay yes as a partner you can't no, no. And, it, and it would have been and the wrong you, thing it would have been the wrong thing because I, I know that so yeah so he was in there for a week and then he and we were he was discharged home under the care of the crisis team um and it was it, again very tense in the house very difficult in the house he was still very unwell um, got to day four, so f- the fourth home visit from the crisis team, and he was being seen separately from me, so they were taking him into a different room and talking to him. And then they came out and said, it's been nice to see you, we're discharging him now. And I'm like, um, what? Excuse me? He's still really, really ill? No, no, he's told us he's all right, so we're discharging so him. this is like 14 days... No, no, Not even that. that. Less Not than that. that, yeah. Someone trying said, to hang yeah. him. He, he, we moved him into the flat, and I was I was there every day, most days, most evenings, looking after him, running him round. And we were sitting, we he was sitting on the floor this one night, and he said something, and I and I looked at him, and I said, "That's not you speaking. You wouldn't say that. That's the words that a friend of mine would have used." And this is the friend that had been there when Charlie was ill. Um, I'd been her bridesmaid at her wedding. I was her son's godmother. She is my son's godmother. I said you're having an affair and he broke down in tears and then I another couple of weeks and then I went back to work I'd been off sick um since since probably the February to the May so I was I was off for for, uh, a little while managed to get back to work and all was good and then we got to about May and there was a knock on the door about half past seven in the morning and there were three police officers at my door um, and they were police officers I recognised from the November, December, sorry, the December the year before. So I thought, oh, bloody hell, what's, what's he done now? And they came in and they'd come to arrest me in connection to what was going on with my ex-husband. Um, Which I will point out, you actually <laughs> had nothing to do with. I had absolutely nothing to do with. However, they, they when I said that, they cautioned me by my kitchen sink said no we, we need to take you to the police station to question you um, and I, I didn't notice that caution looking back now I remember the caution in fact I remember I was in my pink dressing gown right by my kitchen sink um, by this time my daughter had woken up she'd come downstairs she was sitting on the stairs listening to all of this and I remember the sergeant going up to her she she was in a state because I was being arrested um, and she was in a state, and the sergeant sat with her and said, I promise you nothing is going to happen to your mum. And I'm going to come back to that in a little while. Um, anyway, so they let me go upstairs and get dressed, but the police, the lady police officer had to come with me, so I had to get dressed with a police officer in my bedroom. And they took my phones, my laptop, this all works, so they, they seized everything, and I got taken to the police station, where I was... In, I was Interviewed. Well, I was held for seven hours in the local police station. They were they were actually quite sweet to me. They they it's just. I know you, you're yeah. not going to reveal no. what this was. Yeah. But I have to say as well that it was quite um, 
a uh, how can I put this? It's a very high profile. It was a high profile case, yeah, rather than an particular thing that had happened it was a whole yeah it it was nationally reported it was a nationally reported profile case so yeah yeah, so there wasn't a an incident as such but it was just you were suspected of doing something being involved in something um that your ex-husband had possibly possibly been involved with yeah allegedly allegedly. thank god right so I agreed to get a solicitor um, and they interviewed me and they told me what the accusation was and I looked at it and I couldn't believe it really. Um, Anyway, I was at the police station for seven hours um, and all the way through was saying I did not do this thing, gave them, um, I couldn't remember what I was doing on the day um, just because it was just bizarre. so I went to my sister the next day with actually what I thought was quite good evidence. Um, the fact that I was I was actually on a day off, so I couldn't have done what they said I was. I was with my daughter, all these things. But actually the police were able to disprove absolutely everything that I had put in as um, an alibi. That's incredible. They actually went through the actions that you'd done yeah. and worked out where they... And worked out timelines and worked out I could have been where they thought I was and could have done what they thought Ooh, I did. So you're trapped in a nightmare for him. I really was, and I remember, actually it's just come back to me now, I remember my boss or my boss's boss, because I was having to sort of touch base with them regularly, because obviously I was off work, I'd had to t- I told them. So I got home and I had to t- phone them and say, um, I've just been arrested. That kicked off a whole chain of events at work for me. Um... And I remember, and I went off sick. They didn't suspend me. I, I went off sick because they could have suspended me from work. The impact in, in my role was huge, potentially. Um, and I remember my boss was saying, God, Sean, you must feel like you're in an episode of Spooks. Because it just kept going on and on and on. Anyway, so um, I went home. My children were invited to the police station to go and give interviews because my daughter was my alibi. That went down like a lead balloon. Um and yeah and then I was in this little surreal world really and then my cousin phoned me and said Sean you've got to get a better solicitor she worked for a barrister he phoned me he was lovely on the phone he phoned me and he got me in touch with the person that ended up as my solicitor who was phenomenal um and I phoned my sister told her um because I they put I was then on bail and they put lots of restrictions on who I could talk to and where I could go and stuff like that but they didn't tell me I couldn't speak to my sister, so I phoned my sister and I told her this thing. Um, and the response I got from everybody that I was able to tell was, did you do this? And I get that. Everybody has to ask, did you do this? Yeah. Um, and every time I said, no, fine, that's it. That's all we want to hear. We just have to ask. So my sister did the same. Did you do this? No. Um, and that was that. Um, and so my niece called me and said, um, can you please come... Um, my sister Ian had been taken into hospital in the West Country and was really ill and they weren't being listened to or they felt they weren't being listened to by the uh, nursing and medical teams looking after her. So I jumped straight in the car and moved there. I live in Cambridgeshire, so I live east, she lived west. And I ended up going up and down to the hospital every day for uh, a week. And it was awful. And I'm not saying that what happened there led to the outcome and it was a very poor outcome so anyway so I was demanding she was um, put into high dependency or intensive care 
and um, then there was a day I didn't go down and on that day they did actually move her into intensive care and I went up um, to see her and I'd already arranged with her because she was so ill that I would go and collect my nephew from the airport he was flying in he had um, the year before he'd lost his leg in a, an industrial accident and obviously for him he was a young man he was in his early 20s that took him to a very dark place um, but he was just coming out of it and she had he enable both able-bodied and disabled people to go on a tour ship uh, equal levels and they can do everything on those ships so he'd gone on that for a week which he was loving because he was contacting my sister and saying um, he was loving it but he knew I was picking him up so that wasn't a problem so I got to the Did airport. you know your sister was in hospital? Not at that point, okay. no. Right. So I went to pick him up and she was fatally ill. So I got him to the hospital my brother-in-law and another niece as Jane's alluded to I have a very big family another niece had come up from the West Country um, and I went and said my goodbyes and I left because I just couldn't be there at the point she died I just couldn't do that um, so I got in the car and I drove home and about an hour it's about a two hour drive home and about an hour I stopped the car I've got no idea why I stopped the car but I stopped the car and as I stopped at the car park I got a call from my niece to tell me my sister had died so I sat there I phoned my children and I phoned a couple of cousins so that well, I could get them home um, back into that normality of the chaos that was my arrest I had to put my sister's death to one side I went to see my sister out for you um, and so I had all of that going on and then I had to go back and we had to sort out my sister's funeral with, with the arrest stuff still going on um, it, was, it was just really surreal and these two these two completely different situations going on in my life that I didn't want to be in either of them actually and, and things settled for a bit um, so by now we're in the July, August, September things were settling, I'd gone back to work um, but they kept moving my bail date because obviously I was on bail so they just kept moving the bail date moving the bail date moving the bail date and I really wanted an end to this um, and it got to the November and I had nominated my team for an award, quite a big national award and we won it and I was really proud that we won it and I was invited to speak at a national conference about the team and the work we do and why we'd won the award and it was in the November so I had to phone the police and I had to ask if I was allowed to go to the north of England because there were restrictions on my movements and they said, yes, you can go, it's fine. And that made me really worried because the date of the conference was my next bail date hearing. And if you don't turn up for your bail hearing, you're in contempt and you can go to court and you can be go to prison. But they were letting me go. So I thought, oh, OK, they're just going to move my bail date again. So I went and half an hour, literally half an hour or so before I went to speak at this conference, I got a call from my solicitor to say, we've dropped all charges, Sean. It's, it's over, it's finished. So that was that. And then I got invited to go down to London to the police station, not just any police station, but the headquarters. And I found my sister and said, is this normal? Um, and I knew they still, they had my phones and my laptops and they still had all my seized goods. And she said, no, it's not normal. Don't understand what's going on there. And we got there and we got escorted in up 36, 34 floors or something, put in a room, and then all of a sudden all the senior officers were coming into the room, 
sergeant, the police officers that had been there to arrest me, or the, the superintendent. And <coughs> one of the, there's a couple of things that resonate with me about that meeting. One was they very quickly in the conversation said, we're really sorry, this has happened to you, but it wasn't an illegal arrest. And they said to me, when we arrested you, Sean, we knew you'd done it. We knew you'd done it. By the time we finished interviewing you, we knew you'd done it, but we didn't want it to be you because actually you came across as such a nice person. And what really makes me cross still now is that that sergeant sat on the stairs with my daughter and said to her, don't worry, nothing will happen to your mum, knowing that they knew they'd already, their hearts they'd already made, they made their, their minds, minds up. They made their minds up. And that was based on no evidence. That was all based on circumstantial evidence. That was all based on the fact that I was married to who I was married to and they already had him. It transpires that after my arrest, they got the evidence together and the evidence took them to a different person who is also a nurse, works where I worked, different department, different organisation, but in the building that I work in. And her partner is also a police officer who is involved in the... Or oh, this last thing that you were called into was really a cover-up. Well, a, a, to say, like, don't even try and complain. complain. Yeah. Um, trouble is, in life, um, not to the extent that you've been through, You there comes a point where you have to know these things and move on. Yeah. Not only for yourself and your own mental health, yeah. but for others that would involve, you know, around you, like uh, yeah. maybe your children or something, um, to drag everything up or to... And, and also, financially. Yeah. You, you cannot... It's really expensive being arrested, yes. and, can and I just say? <laughs> if you're not entitled to Sean legal aid. has worked at a very high level for a long time. Yeah. Um, but... You know, has not been in that financial position that no. that this is money is money that no. you know. I can't throw it away. No, really, no. Um, so you know, I had been, I had from a, from a mental health point of view, um, I had fantastic support from my GP. He was brilliant, and he all the way through. He and I specifically, I'll see him because when my husband was at home with his mental health crisis he saw the same GP and I didn't want to repeat the story and repeat the story and repeat the story so my practice was very good and my GP was very good particularly uh, my bosses were really really good my boss so you've never had counselling ma- except for that me. time from when Charlie was Charlie. ill yeah, yeah. Um, my boss and my organisation were fantastic and through chose not to do that and I I'm incredibly lucky working for who I work for and the, and the care and support they give me you're lucky for a reason though because yeah, they've yeah. they've they've seen they they had a belief have, in me they have a belief in you and yeah. rightly so and they believe that I have integrity and, yeah. and I hold my integrity very close to my heart. Well, I think to sort of round this all up, Sean. Um, so I mean, literally, unbelievably, that happened. Yeah. In that one year, and so the following year, you turned fifty. Following your turn fifty, so you turn fifty. Yeah. We had a fantastic surprise, mother of all parts. Surprise for Sean, um, bittersweet because obviously it would have been my your, twins fifty. Your, would have been your twin sister's fiftieth yeah. as well, and I think I don't know. I remember feeling that for you, and I'm sure everyone did. Um, and then fast forwarding now, as we're about to turn fifty six this year, <laughs> so young, and I just the so the point of of all this well beyond 
awfulness for a word, doesn't it? That you have been through, um, you are remarkable, and I mean, truly, truly remarkable person. I mean, and there is actually even more stuff that that you haven't talked about. Mm. Um, and I think the point is, okay, you know, God forbid that anyone goes through has to deal with half of. You know, and people deal with. You know, you're always very people sort deal of with awful things. They, people, yes, and we all look. And I know through my when I look through mine, I look at other people and think, "Wow!" In awe, and you're right up there. Um, but through it all, you've found positives. You've yeah. you've battled on. You're a great mother. You've got Thank two you. wonderful children, yeah. and importantly for me. Especially since you've semi-retired, <laughs> you've got a travel companion. <laughs> and I think I I don't know what makes me me, and I don't know. I've recently into what I have done, and certainly what I've done over the last, definitely last year, is I have really looked to people who have who are real positive influences in my life. And anybody that isn't actually are now not in my life. So all I've done now is built around me people I love people I like, people who are positive, people who make me feel positive. You have introduced me to the travelling bug, thank you, and, and like I say, you know, we've uh, travelled a little bit, <laughs> a lot, and I'm loving it. It's stuff I never did as a, as a younger person, no. I, for lots of reasons. We didn't have my job, so I'm still working, so I have that as well, and my kids are amazing. My fa- you've alluded to this huge, expansive family that I have, um, and unfortunately this year my other sister who still survived I have a surviving sister she lost her daughter this year as well and um, and you just and that for me that puts stuff in perspective I've never lost a child both my sisters and my mum all lost children what that did to them was devastating I nearly did but I didn't I have to see the positive in that and I all I see is positive in my life and that I'm living my happiest life now I'm really happy I, well, you know well Sean um, I'm going to finish. I'm going to <laughs> give you a hug. Probably burst into tears myself. And um, I just want to thank you very much. Oh, and to say um, you're amazing and <laughs> you're more than possible, my lovely John. <laughs> thank Don't, you. Because I'm going to cry now. I can feel it. <laughs> sunshine